world. Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today's the show, we're talking about new builds versus existing, which goes up in value faster. Now, this is a question I've probably been asked for the last four years doing this podcast. <laughs> Do new builds go up in value at the same rate as existing properties? And it's a really difficult and hard one to answer. Why is that? Well, the issue is that there's no great data to get. So think about it this way. I can pull data about the median house price of a new build, but if a new build appears in that data today, if it's sold in three years' time, well, it's no longer a new build, so it's not going to appear in that data. So I've called up my good friends at CoreLogic. I've asked them whether they can send me some good data around this. I mean, what we'd have to do is look at, okay, of all the properties built in 2005, What's their average value today and how does that compare to the rest of the market? And then we'd have to do that for all of the properties built in 2004, all of the properties built in 2003. There's no easy place to pull that data from, from all of the tools we pay for and all of the tools that are available online, both to economists like me, but also to the Joe public. So I'm going to probably spend some of your money, Andrew, and get my good friends at CoreLogic to give me some of this data if they are able to pull it. But I thought, you know what, we've got this philosophy on the show that if somebody asks a question, we're going to answer it. So we'll have a go at answering it today, and then we'll do a follow-up if we get some good data out of them. So my first thing to ask you, though, Andrew, is why do people, or what are the arguments that people give when they say new builds don't increase in value as much as existing properties? What do people kind of say? So I think one of the most common comments that I get is it's like buying a brand new car, right? When you drive the car off the lot, it's going to start to depreciate. And new builds are the same, right? They're going to depreciate over time. So you're going to pay a bit more. You're going to pay a premium for a brand new property compared to an existing property because everything's new. Everything's in a high standard and it's going to depreciate. That's why the IRD allow you to depreciate the channels and parts of the property are going to just wear out. So with an existing property, it's potentially already worn out. So you're not paying a premium up front. Second argument is that if you've got a large development, you know, 100 units, say, and they're all the same property or similar properties, you might have more on the market when you go to sell. So there's more competition. So for example, 100 properties in a development and 10% of that market sells every year, that means that you've got 10 units selling in a, in a year. So potentially, you put yours on the market, there's another two on the market at the same time, for example. And so that might lead to competition between units. Potentially, you're not able to get that multi-offer or premium price that you're potentially looking for. And I think there's one other large argument that people often get. Yeah, the land argument. So new builds tend to have less land than existing properties. So you buy an existing villa, you might have a quarter acre section or something like that, or you might have 500, 600 square metres, whereas a new build, you're probably more like 300 to 450 square metre section most of the time. That's if you're buying a standalone house. Correct. If you're buying a townhouse, it's probably going to be more like somewhere between 75 and 150 square metre section, generally speaking. Okay, I think those are mainly fair points, and I can understand those arguments, perhaps except for the land one. We did a Mythbuster episode back Actually, it's a while back now. It was episode 656 I checked the other day. That was good. Which showed that properties with more land don't necessarily go up in value faster. They're definitely more expensive, but you pay more up front. And yes, you charge a higher price at the end. But the percentage increase in value, which is what we really care about, is roughly the same. We should probably update it because it's a few years ago now. 
But I'm really interested in the depreciation argument. What do you think about that? The idea that, well, new builds depreciate in value. So even if they increase, maybe they won't increase as fast. So I do understand this argument because when you buy a new build, there are tax advantages with depreciation on your chattels. So you go and get a high value for your chattels and and then you depreciate those. So so it's hard to kind of counter that argument in your mind. But so do the chattels in a renovated property. So if I go and buy an old two-bedroom unit and I renovate it, then the chattels of that will depreciate as well. Now, does that mean that that two-bedroom unit, because it's an older property, is going to go up faster than the brand new two-bedroom unit? Absolutely not. So I think that what your argument there really relies on is the idea that if I take an old unit and I renovate it to an as-new condition where I replace the light switches, I replace all of the chattels, and I get a chattel valuation, and sweet, I get all the same depreciation and advantages of a new build, is it going to increase in value faster? I think that's a good point because lots of people, especially if you're buying existing properties, these days you need to renovate them to get the cash flow. And so you've got to spend money, you're going to increase or you're going to improve all of the channels, the light switches, the lights, the lamps, the flooring, the carpets, all of that kind of stuff. But that's going to depreciate as well if you're bringing it into effectively an as-new condition. But I also think there's another side to it. If you're going and buying a property that is existing and hasn't been renovated and is an old dunger, often what people will do is discount the price anyway because they think, well, this property needs a lot of work done to it. If it was in a good condition, I might pay 700 This property needs a lot of work done to it, so I'm going to offer 650 because it's not very good. So there's probably two sides to it. It's a bit more nuanced than you think. I can understand the depreciation argument in terms of the new build, but there's also the flip side. Well, if you buy an existing property, people discount the price anyway. So I think what we've got to do is actually say, well, let's dispense with the arguments. Let's actually look at some real properties and see how they are going compared to the rest of the market. So because there's no conclusive market data to say which argument is right, I've jumped in and found three examples of new build properties. And what it's shown me really clearly is that some new builds will increase in value faster than the average existing property. Some will increase at the same rate, the average rate. And some will increase in value much more slowly than average. And so I've got three examples for you just to show you that variety of outcomes that can happen. Because if you buy a great new build, it probably will increase in value faster than the rest of the market. And I've got an example for you. If you buy a really bad new build, and again, I've got another example for you in a second, it's probably not going to do as well as the rest of the market. But I'm going to start with an average one. So I remember recently on the podcast, we talked about that an investor we were working with purchased a property. This was back in April 2017, and it was a four-bed, two-bath, standalone house in Tauranga. And I think they bought that one for $685,000. Now, the investor held on to that for about four and a half years. They had a change of circumstance and wanted to sell the property. They definitely got the, the timing right. They sold it in November 2021, oh. the absolute peak of the market, and they sold that for a million and twenty thousand dollars. So that means that they made 335k just from the property going up in value over about four and a half years. Luckily, they purchased it before the bright line test was extended, so they didn't pay any tax on that. So it was about a 49% increase in the value of that property. 9.1% odd a year. And of course, by the way, just in case anybody's new to the show, if you buy a property, you're probably not going to get 9.1% increase in value every year going forward because they sold right at the peak of the market, got the time right. But what's important to know is they sold it for 49% more than they bought it for. Over the same period, 
the average value of a property in Welcome Bay, which is the suburb in Tauranga that it was in, that increased by just under 53%. So the property increased roughly the same rate as the rest of the suburb by, you know, ballpark 50% plus or minus a few percentage points. So I think that's a really good example of where the capital growth on a new build was bang on with the rate of the rest of the market. But Andrew, give us an example of a new build property that's done worse than the rest of the market. So I think one of the really interesting ones that jumped to my mind was the Sugar Tree Apartments. So stage one for Sugar Tree Apartments. What are, what are these and where are they? So these are apartments in central Auckland. Now, I remember the people that went on on stage one of that did really well because it was a developer who was brand new. It's a very ballsy development for a brand new developer. Because it was effectively three different apartment buildings Correct. right next to each other. Correct. And stage one, you know, they, they were probably priced according to the fact that he had limited experience and it was a massive project and it was buying off plans, all those kind of things. And so stage one did really well. I'm pretty sure stage two was mediocre and stage three was average in terms of returns. So I've taken an example. This is unit number 612, which I think was probably stage three in the outro apartment block. Now it's a one bedroom, one bath with car park. Now Property Guru, which is CoreLogic's software, says that the sale price was $641,500, and that was in July 2015. Okay, so roughly six hundred and forty dollars to buy that property. So what's happened to apartment prices in Auckland since then? So, I mean, remember, apartments tend not to go up as quickly as houses or townhouses, but the Auckland apartment market has gone up 14%. In those eight years. So it's not a lot, is it? Hardly anything. You see, I mean, I, we always talk about apartments that go up in value as quickly, but I know property prices have come down and Auckland Central was hit really hard during the COVID times because we didn't have students, didn't have tourism. But going up 14% in eight years is, is bugger all, it's actually. It's nothing, nothing. If you factor in inflation into that. So that apartment... If it followed the market exactly, it would be worth 733 k today. What's it actually worth according to Property Guru? So according to Property Guru, unit number 612 is now worth $610,000. It's $123,000 worse than the market average and 31500 lower than this person bought it for eight years ago. Yeah, and I actually looked at homes.co.nz and I think One Roof as well. I think One Roof said it was worth 605. QV didn't have a value. So they were all around that kind of mark. So that 610 seems to be the average. Now, I mean, these online valuations or estimates, they are just estimates, but it does suggest that this specific property probably hasn't done as well as the rest of the market. So it's an example of a new build that's done worse than the average of the market. And look, it's an extreme case, absolutely. And we've chosen this specifically as an example of what can go wrong if you're not careful with your decisions, because you could be $123,000 worse than the market average. Even after adjusting for the fact that it is an apartment. So, you know, it's not like we're comparing apartments with houses there. And I think one of the big considerations here is you are buying an apartment. It's in a building where there's a lot of competition. So again, this is a bit different to, you know, buying a house or a townhouse where, yep, you might have some stuff that's similar, but it's not exactly the same. Well, that's an example of where that second argument that you outlined at the start, that if you buy in a larger development, you might have a lot of competition. What you've got to remember here is it's not just one apartment block that you're up against, you're up against three apartment blocks because it's all in the same area of town 
by the same developer. So you've got three buildings to compete against. That's probably what's happening there with the sale price. Okay, I also want to look at an alternative as well, specifically to see a property that's done better than average. And I want to stick with apartments just to show you the range of what's possible. So I know in 2017, there was an investor who bought a dual key apartment in Wellington. Now, remember, a dual key is where you've got two apartments on one title. So in this case, there was a one bedroom apartment and a studio apartment, kind of similar to the apartment in Andrew's example, you know, in that it's, it's central Wellington here, two kind of one bedroom units stuck together on one title. Now they signed up to pay 525k for that in March 2017. And today it is worth about $730,000. So it's gone up in value by 205k. I mean, during the peak of the market, I mean, I think it was up around a million dollars, but Wellington house prices have really come back. Now, the most important thing to note here is the investor's property has gone up by 39% and Wellington city prices, and I'm not talking about apartments, I'm including houses, townhouses, all property types in here to give a really fair comparison. Wellington city prices have gone up 30% in that time. This property has gone up 39%. So this is an example where actually an apartment, well chosen, has made an extra $48,000 more than if this investor had purchased an average property at a similar price and it just did whatever the Wellington city market had done. So that's an example of where a new build can do better than the market average. And so, I mean, what's really the key message here, Andrew? I think the key message is that it's not just about whether or not something's new or existing because a bad new build can do worse than a well-chosen existing property. And then the contrary is true. So a well-chosen new build will do better than a poorly chosen existing property. And we'll work on getting some better data out of CoreLogic, but we always want to answer your questions, even if we don't have the full answer right away. So, Ed, you've got free reign on the budget. So, oh, really? No, not really. You hear that, Nick, from CoreLogic? <laughs> I'm coming for you. So we'll, we'll get some more data. We'll talk about this. But I think that that really is it. There's no data that says new builds do better than existing, and there's no data that says existing properties do better than new builds or vice versa. But if we look at some specific properties on the street, there are examples, and I mean, I could cherry pick a lot of examples where a new build's done better than average. There are also a lot of examples where I could cherry pick and show, you know, as we've specifically chosen for this episode, new build properties that have done worse than the average in the market, and you always see that variety. What's the key message? We've got to choose our properties well because there is a real range. We can either make a lot of money or we can lose a lot of money, like that example in the Sugar Tree apartment. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs>